Hi, I'm Eric, also known as TrekkieV47, from the Ranger Command Power Hour and the Starfleet Escape Podcast. You're listening to another great Four-Eyed Radio product. For more shows, check out foureyedradio.com. It's morphin' time! Wallop and web snappers! My spider sense is tingling. Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Doug. And I'm Derek. And is your spider sense tingling? Power! I need the power! Give me the power! To listen to the show, find us on foureyedradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. And as a reminder, we are still watching The Spectacular Spider-Man, so if you would like to watch along with us, it is available on DVD and Blu-ray, but Blu-ray are out of print, so if you have a hard time finding it in a physical form you can most certainly find it on some digital platforms quite easily we also have a bit of business from last week we have word snappers words and i believe you derek were the one who said them i did i did it's funny that episode had a lot of snacks in it because it was at a birthday party but <laughs> the, i still will still went for like the gory like cannibalism angle yeah what if he <laughs> bit off spider-man's head <laughs> so the the words were the snack that smiles back submitted by our patron katie yes yes thank you that was a good one i like that yeah i like that one a lot very and good if, very good submission very good submission and if you would like to make some very good submissions you can just become a patron of any level of our patreon so even even just one dollar and you can submit words every month that we have to work into our show and as you can see they can be like as random or weird as you want, and we will have to say them. And honestly, the weirder, the better. I, I like these words a lot, too. Yes. Well, like I said, we are talking about the spectacular Spider-Man. We've been digging it. This is the sixth episode of the second season. So we are <laughs> far too rapidly approaching the end of the series, but we're enjoying the ride nonetheless. This is the second episode in the second arc of the second season. <laughs> which is pretty cool <laughs> very cool yeah. yeah yeah this is the the human development arc specifically yes yes which i'll be curious at the end of this one because i know the first arc we very quickly were sort of like this is the theme of the arc and it's mm-hmm. very obvious and by the end of this one i'll be curious to talk a little bit about what we think like the overarching theme is of this if there is one yeah yeah because i think sure. there are definitely the carryover but it's definitely not as spelled out. If there is one, it's not as spelled out as the first season sure. was, or uh, first arcs was, rather. So. Sure, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, the episode that we are specifically talking about today is the Spectacular Spider-Man Season 2, Episode 6, entitled Growing Pains. So the titles certainly fit the uh, the arc theme, <laughs> if oh, nothing yeah. else. Good luck with good luck with the synopsis, man. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. It looks hefty. <laughs> the synopsis for this one per IMDb is as follows. 
Editor J. Jonah Jameson's son John, the astronaut, has been infected by space spores. They give him superpowers, so Jonah fit him a hero costume as Colonel Jupiter, who turns on Spider-Man because of crimes committed by the Black Goose creation Venom. Excuse me? Meanwhile, Spider-Man must handle Eddie, who transformed into that monster and threatens Peter to keep him silent, while Harry finds glory in school theater. Police Captain George Stacy believes in Spidey's innocence. What? The spores... Oh, okay, gotcha. I was like, for a second, I was like, excuse me? Uh, <laughs> the spores prove addictive, and Venom betrays Peter's secret. Oh, my God. Oh I feel God. like this one... If, if I'm going to give critiques, I feel like this one does a better job than some of them do about presenting premises as yeah. opposed to summary details, right? But I'm still going to give it like a C because a lot yeah, of I it was a fair. bit nonsensical and unnecessary. I think that's fair. <laughs> I think that's fair. Yeah. So it's pretty average for what we've gotten. Yep. Yep. I will <laughs> say too... Before I forget, remember when I said when we first started the season that like I watched like what I thought was a trailer for season two on YouTube that turned out to be a fan compilation. Oh yeah, and there was a big spoiler in it. The last scene of this episode was in that trailer. By the way, wow, that was what prompted me to turn it off and be like, "Fuck it, I'm just gonna watch this season illegally before it shows up because I'm I need to." Yeah, that's a big deal. Uh huh. I was real mad. Now, to be to be fair though, it was so out of context that like I had no idea like what episode it was going to show up in, or if it was like a dream sequence or what. And once um, you start watching this season, I feel like it would break down any sort of like certainty you had about what it was because there's been so much uncertainty surrounding that character. Yeah. That uh, I I could see myself having seen that, been mad, and then as I was watching, convince myself that it wasn't that big a deal. Yeah. Yeah. We will get to that in about an hour and a half. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The international air date for this episode was February 22nd, 2009, and then it aired in the U.S. on July 20th, 2009. It was written by Nicole Dubuque, I think is how you pronounce her name, but we have never run into her before. So she has written on a lot of really good stuff, though, in particular, a lot of Greg Weissman-led stuff. So you're going to recognize a lot of these. She's written on Kim Possible, Jackie Chan Adventures, Witch, The Superhero Squad Show, Young Justice, Transformers Rescue Bots, The My Little Pony Friendship is Magic Show, Star Wars Rebels, and more. Mmm, that is good stuff. And we've done commentaries on our Patreon on Kim Possible and Jackie Chan Adventures. Go to patreon.com slash wallsandwebsnappers. Nice. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) The episode was directed by Mike Goglen. We talked about him previously in our episode 61. Nice. Well... There is a character that I would love to talk about because they popped in in the last episode, but we weren't even sure if she spoke. She definitely (laughs) speaks in this one and becomes much more of a prominent character in this episode. And that is Shishan Nguyen. And she is voiced by Kelly Hu, who's done a ton of stuff. (laughs) I love her and her voice, too. She's great. I'm really bummed I didn't know who she was because she's done so many incredible things. Mm-hmm. And things that I recognize. So I'm like sad I didn't know that, like I didn't know about her. <laughs> like yeah. I've seen her, obviously. I'm like aware of her, but I, I didn't I didn't recognize that these were all connected dots. So this is like a very small bit of what she's done because she's done a lot. But she voices Maya in Stretch Armstrong and the Flex Fighters, which mm-hmm. 
we will talk about at some point because we've talked about talking about it. Yeah. So that's inevitable. Karai, is that how we say this name? I'm not really sure because I didn't watch the show in the 2013 version of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Stacy and Phineas and Ferb, as well as voicing Ms. Lynn in Batman Under the Red Hood alongside Brian George, Phil Lamar, and a bunch of other spectacular folks. Lady Shiva in Arkham Origins, the video game. A number of voices in Young Justice and many, many other voices. But she also is on screen plenty. She portrayed Lady Deathstrike in the second X-Men movie, X-Men United, Ray Chang on Sunset Beach, Inspector Chan on Nash Bridges, Chen Pei Pei on Martial Law, Pearl Zhu in The Vampire Diaries, China White on Arrow, and lots, lots, lots more. <laughs> She's been in yeah. so many things. That's why I'm so bummed I like didn't I was I didn't know who she was. <laughs> yeah. I guess because like she's so often playing like supporting roles, mm-hmm. I guess. So She's, like, one of those people that, like, I feel like once you know who she is, you will never forget her. Yep. But, like, you're not necessarily going to remember her unless you, like, know who she is as yeah. an actor. So, yeah. But she's really good. I love her voice. Yeah. Um, and even, like, she has significant things to do in this episode, but, you know, not a ton of lines. But everything that she does, she does really, really well. So oh, yeah. I'm excited to see more of her for sure. Yeah, she's great. She's great. Well, this episode is interesting, and it's worth calling out the structure of it before we dive in, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because this is another one that has a different, I guess, experimental seems like maybe a little wackier uh, in its implication than this is, but it is very different than what you would expect. Last week, we talked about an episode that had video clips that would cut in throughout the whole episode featuring different characters. This episode does a similar thing with monologues where you'll see one character giving like a single line or two of a monologue on a stage with a single spotlight. And that clarifies itself in the same way, or in a similar way, I should say, as the video clips. Yeah. But it's worth calling out because they're going to pop up throughout this episode and sometimes feel very relevant and sometimes be kind of a surprise. So yeah, worth noting that they're there. I think I like these better than the video clips because... I think most of the time, and we can double check this as we go through it, but I think most of the time they work on two levels because they're often working from the perspective of the person who's performing those lines and alongside working with what's happening in the episode and the scene following. That happened a little bit in the last episode, but I think it happens a lot more in this one where the lines were a lot more carefully chosen, which I think is just by the nature of them being lines from Shakespeare. So like they can literally just pick out any lines that ever have sounded good throughout all of Shakespeare that fit what they're looking for Mm -hmm. rather than have to be like natural dialogue. So I really like what they do with these in this episode. I think they're really, I think they're, they're really cool. I think Shakespeare's cool. I really enjoyed Shakespeare. I can't say that there's a whole lot of Shakespeare left in my brain from when I studied it. So Mm -hmm. hopefully there's more in yours than there is in mine. Okay. Yeah, I can, (laughs) I can try. Some are more familiar with the others. I did, as I was going along, looked up at least like which play they, they sure. were each from. So we can we can go from there and then expose the, our lack of Shakespeare knowledge. I mean, honestly, here's the thing. Here's the thing. If we even need to. because No, I don't think we need to most of the time. A lot of these lines are, are I, I hate saying simple because they are Shakespeare, but they are literally usually one or two lines of yeah. a Shakespeare play. So it's not like we're getting full Hamlet monologues that we need to dissect. And they're choosing them in particular situations. So even if you didn't know they were Shakespeare, even if you didn't know they were from particular plays or which ones, 
a lot of the time you can kind of at least begin to draw the the connection to what's going on anyway. So yeah, I think so. If, I think that they're very careful about that. If we're already familiar with the setting they come from, which I'm a, I'm going to guarantee I don't. <laughs> then I think it could it could illuminate or amplify what's going on, but I don't think it's necessary. Yeah, sure. Def absolutely. You know what absolutely. I mean? Yeah. It's cool nonetheless though. It's striking mm-hmm. if nothing else. Mm-hmm. And you know, Greg Weissman loves his Shakespeare stuff. There's literally characters from Shakespeare that are like canonically the same characters that are in Shakespeare plays, like in the Gargoyles universe. Most of them from Midsummer Night's Dream, which is spoiler the play that they're going to be doing. <laughs> so it's no. It's, <laughs> so <laughs> it's funny that it's funny that it, it still managed to work into a superhero show, which I think is unless you literally have like Thor or something where you can work that in awkwardly. Like it's harder to work in like Shakespearean stuff, like overt Shakespeare references in a superhero thing. So it's fun to be able to use the high school setting and be like, they're literally putting on a Shakespeare play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think and doing it in a TV show, I think is probably such an opportunity because you can kind of do more conceptual episodes without, I guess, like jeopardizing the overarching tone or vibe of the show, if that makes sense. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, it, I, I like I like that the opportunity was there and that he took it. Yes, absolutely. Or made absolutely. it or whatever, you know. So, all right, well, let's dive into this one. Um, it does open with one of these. It, it, again, I keep saying monologues, but they're really one line. So it opens with Glory on stage, and she says, By the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes, which is probably the most iconic of any of these lines. I think I, th- I would say so. I feel yeah, like that's the everybody's one... heard that, at least. <laughs> yeah, it's from Macbeth, and it's exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. And it's talking about venom. So like there you go. Some bad's about to happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's not This is like probably the least uh, least deep one out of yeah. all of them too. <laughs> but it's a cool way to open an episode because even right? though everybody knows what well actually it's probably because everybody gets that one um that you can open the episode with this and it tells you exactly the tone you should be expecting. Yeah, and all the characters, like like you said, they're just sort of like on a on a bare stage, like with a spotlight. Mm-hmm. So you know, and you don't under, know about the auditions until later. So it's like it's really striking image too. Yep. In addition to it being Shakespeare lines. Yeah, it's cool. So after we get this opening line, we see Venom in a slightly different shape than we're used to seeing, seemingly stopping a robbery in progress. But when the police show up and mistake him for Spider Man, because he his shape is a bit more Spider Manly. He attacks them, webs them up, and makes off with the loot from the robber's heist. Huh. Strange. (laughs) (laughs) Then we get our credits. um, And our credits this week are featuring Liz, Flash, and J. Jonah Jameson. Mm -hmm. First time Gwen has never been in an opening credits for this show. Yes. And she still has important stuff to do, and that happens to her in this one anyway. Too, so. <laughs> yeah, I was beginning to wonder if Gwen was just going to always be one of them, which I would have been fine with because it makes perfect sense. Yeah. But it was, yeah, I, I was surprised. I kind of like jumped back a few seconds because I was like, did I just miss Gwen? <laughs> yeah. Expected her to be there. And they even add a little like effect. This is this is looking so detailed into it, but I fucking love this stuff. It's they even add a little effect because there's like an extra when when Gwen was always on screen first after Peter. There's like a little beat before, like a little like a little flash of an image before it shows her. So to fill in that beat with Liz, there's like a really quick like blip of her like doing a little like cheer first <laughs> before it goes to her title screen that you don't normally see with her because normally nice. she's after Gwen. So right, that's cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's cool detail. It also happens immediately following the episode where they establish their official relationship. Oh, so it's yeah. The, it's the first time Gwen isn't in those credits and Liz takes that first spot. Oh, Ooh, right through the heart. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Everybody's heart's just broke. <laughs> I know, but it's but I like Liz, and she's a really good girlfriend. Yeah. No, Liz, Liz oh, is great. So, Liz is great. The so show is doing bizarre things and making us feel unexpected things. So, uh huh, it's great. Uh-huh. It's great. Yep. Well, after the credits, we get another one of these little tiny monologues. This one's from Harry, and this one is another one that's probably pretty easy to understand. He says, presume not that I am the thing I was, for I have turned away from my former self. Yes, that's from Henry IV, Part Two. I don't really care about the history plays, so I don't know. <laughs> I've never but, read any of the history plays. I never had to. And I took a Shakespeare class, and he still didn't make us read any of them. <laughs> yeah, I read a couple. I read like a Henry VIII, I think, and I wasn't into it. Richard III is like good because it's more of a tragedy than a history play. The Henry ones, I, I mean, I'm sure you can pull stuff out of them. I think they're boring, but sure. you know, whatever. Yeah, but I, I like this one. It's obvious it's obvious and simple, mm-hmm. but I like it because that this is another one that like you could apply to Harry because he's also dealing with turning away from his goblin green attic self. And then there's also the suggestion of what's going to be happening in the following scene with John Jameson. Essentially, his whole arc in this episode is kind of turning away from his former self and turning towards this darker version of himself. So, Bro. Smart guys. John smart Jameson. Writers. John Jameson's here. This episode John throws Jameson's you right doing in the a thing. thick of it. Right in the thick of it. <laughs> right off the bat. Right off the bat. Things are happening to John Jameson. Yeah, he's man wolf, right? Nope. <laughs> Spectacular Spider-Man is validating me. <laughs> I will Thank say. Thank you, the Spectacular the, Spider-Man. <laughs> the entire time when we were recording Unlimited, that episode with the man wolf episode, and you were like, I only think of him as Captain Jupiter, but I guess most people don't. I was thinking of this episode that entire time, and I was like, oh, God, I can't. Because <laughs> I literally, I had the reverse experience with this episode yeah. as you with that one. Because when I was watching it, I didn't know about the Captain Jupiter stuff when I first watched this episode. Yeah. Like, 10 or so years, 10, 11 years ago. So this so you was saw him, first... like, hulking out, and you were like, man wolf is happening! Yeah, 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 exactly. And then it's just like, what the hell is that suit you're wearing? That's not a were- That's not a hot werewolf. Oh. <laughs> and then I looked it up, and it's like, oh, okay, this is some dorky 70s shit. All uh-huh. right, fine. <laughs> uh-huh. This is, like, dorky, like, first couple of years of the run, I think. Like, I think this so, is, like, yeah. super old shit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do some good stuff with it in this episode, though. It's fun. Yeah, I like it. I like the idea and concept and things they could do with the with Colonel Jupiter, but maybe it feels too derivative if they don't do it particular ways. You know what I mean? So I, I, I get why it wouldn't have lasted long or would have been turned in in favor of something a bit sexier, either literally or figuratively, in yeah. Manwolf. You know what I mean? But yeah. uh, I still think it's fun. I think I think Colonel Jupiter is a fun thing to do. And I think this makes me feel so much better. <laughs> yeah, I felt I mean, yeah, I definitely our conversation would have been different if I could have given this away. But I, that was the card that I was holding that whole time. Well, everybody was man wolf, man. Who, what show would do Captain Jupiter? <laughs> if none of this makes sense for anybody listening, I've never seen Spectacular. I mean, we don't say this every episode, but it's possible somebody just popped in. I've never seen Spectacular, so Derek does a good job of 
not spoiling anything for me as we watch it because he has seen it. And when we watched Spider-Man Unlimited, Colonel Jupiter came up and some work needed to be done to preserve the sanctity of this episode. (laughs) Yeah, because a lot of the conversation was about how a Colonel Jupiter story would probably not be done because John Jameson is also Man-Wolf and Man-Wolf is more popular and well-known. What? (sighs) All right, well, let's get to it. Let's get to it. So we cut to the Connors lab and John Jameson, like you said, they throw us right into it. We hear John Jameson say, it's happening again. Um, And he begins to swell in size, like literally is getting larger um, and like runs and crashes through one of the lab's walls. When the attack subsides, John returns and Kurt gives him a package that he claims will help. He doesn't say what's in it right away, but we do see that John is still bigger. Like, he didn't get bigger and then get smaller. Like, he just increased in size and is, like, an actual probably, like, seven and a half foot, eight foot giant. (laughs) So, (laughs) he's huge. He's huge. So, John steps away into Kurt's office. And when he does this, Jonah, who's also there, demands to know what is happening to John. And Kurt gives this explanation word for word because I think it's I think it's important. (laughs) So he says he was exposed to the alien life form on the hall of his space shuttle. Peter interjects briefly to be like, wait a second. He was he was exposed to the the I think he almost says venom or symbiote. Yeah. But catches himself. And Kurt continues to explain, well, no, he's been infected with microscopic spores that hitched a ride on the space life form the way gum sticks to a shoe. We've been tracking his condition for months. Since entering the kernel system, the spores have multiplied exponentially. And then Gwen throws in that Kurt Connors has been theorizing that those spores originated somewhere that would have had a high mass and a high density, such as a place like Jupiter. We can start to see the pieces falling into place. Yeah, it's pretty clear. They they put all the pieces on the board very, very, very quickly. <laughs> yeah, no mystery if you're aware of Colonel Jupiter. Yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, they need to get a lot out. Of, I mean, it's weird how this episode kind of just kind of starts like this. It's almost like invidious rest, kind of. But like, I think it's to its benefit because there's a lot of good stuff that this episode does. It's just like we've got just this big ball of exposition. Here, we're not going to we're not going to do John Jameson first discovering like something feels weird. Like, no, this has been going on for a while. Here's what's happening. Okay, on with the story. That that stuff is boring. We don't need it. Let's let's move on. It's so easy (laughs) to get away with doing that because the first thing he says is it's happening again. They tell you right off the bat. This has been happening. So move on, everybody. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm I'm glad. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a lot of cool stuff this episode does with the time that it has. So it's worth it. Kurt explains further that he's kind of tried a bunch of solutions to no avail, um, including the gene cleanser, which is a nice little reference to last season. Love that. He also references extreme heat and extreme cold. Basically, all those, all the, all the things you hear in superhero and supervillain stories for somebody's weakness. Yep. He does state that again, electricity is just like the key to everything because electricity has proven somewhat successful, but only like one spore at a time. So it's only like very been like it's super mild. Basically, um, he's tried everything that would have applied so far, like the gene cleanser for himself, extreme heat and cold for the life form and electricity. Well, I guess electricity was enabling, though. It wasn't, it yeah, wasn't but it's, debilitating. It's still a thing that like affects that he's seen effect. Things, sure. So it makes sense to still like, be on the table. Yeah. And also, I think it's worth noting. It's not it's not super called out, but I think it's worth noting that like 
Miles and Deborah are there throughout all of this, not really like helping. They're just kind of in the background, just kind of commenting on all of this like yeah. stuff that's happening. Especially important that Miles is around because Miles will continue to be around. We still haven't heard Deborah say anything, have we? No, <laughs> no, nope. Like, wow. Yeah. This is, I mean, I'm comfortable with you answering this question. Does Deborah ever speak in this show? I don't think she ever does. Oh, that's such a bummer. I mean, they obviously had plans for her if that's the case, but um, I guess we'll see. <laughs> it's, but it, it is very interesting, though, because there are multiple characters now, like her, Hobie, which is obviously kind of a joke, but it's still there. Yeah. And then, like, Emily Osborne, too, are all characters that, like, theoretically could, like, they are from the comics and they could be important in some ways, one way or another. And, like, so they're just sort of there. And it is interesting that the show is willing to do that, where it's like, here's a named character that oh, yeah. has importance, but they're just never going to say anything until we need them to say something, which I think is really fascinating. Yeah. There's one example from the show that once we're done with it, well, you're not going to freak out or anything, but I think you'll find it fascinating from, like, based <laughs> on what Greg Weissman has said about like the, what the third season would have been. But I'll 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 leave it at that because that that okay. it's one thing that's always interested me. But I'm excited. yeah, I think it's really interesting, and it's like I don't know if there's I mean I don't know what more there is to it. It's just an interesting thing that they do where it's sort of like yeah, we don't need to cast them yet if we're not going to have them do anything important. Mm -hmm. But they're there and established for when we decide that we do need to use them yeah. for something important. Well, that's what this show does, right? Like, it doesn't wait until they're important to introduce them into the world because the world exists. You know, these people exist. It's, yeah. it's not not uh, not so much a surprise, but it is kind of funny to have Deborah there and just, like, never say anything. <laughs> it, is, it is. It is really funny. But, yeah, I think the thing that's interesting, though, is that, like, John in one of his fits, like, burst through a wall or whatever. And then Miles is like, no wonder this lab goes through budget. I know. Goes through the budget so often. Miles, and <laughs> this is something I want to revisit. So if I don't, remind me. Miles, okay. I think, is a very interesting character in this episode in particular, given what we've seen so far. Yeah. Um, and I think it complicates some of my feelings, not dramatically, but a little bit. So I want to make okay. sure we revisit that, because this isn't the last time we'll see him. Yeah, there's the moment that I know that I think we'll have to revisit it yep. based on him. Because, yeah. <laughs> yes, we will get to that later. But, yeah, so no avail getting rid of these spores. They've tried They've tried a lot of stuff. But that said, one, like, potential way to treat this this issue that John has going on right now is through a what they kind of dub a Jupiter suit, which is, like, this fun, like, 70s space suit looking thing. I don't know who designed this and when, but... It's it's a suit that is meant to like kind of regulate his biological functions. <laughs> should theoretically like it tracks his heartbeat, so we're always gonna have a heart monitor on there, like whenever throughout this episode while he's doing that stuff. That is my favorite fucking thing about this suit. It has yeah. a heart monitor on the front of it that both yep. makes noise and has a screen. So like everyone can see and hear John's heart rate all the time. Yeah. It's so funny. Like, obviously it's for the audience. It's and for they us, use it yeah. to really good dramatic effect. Like, I'm glad that they do it. But yeah, in universe, it's hilarious to think about, like, the logic of it, where it's just yeah. like, first of all, that's got to be so annoying because he's just going to be hearing his heartbeat, like, forever, like, until this is done. Like, how can you, like, come on. Uh, but like, That's not annoying for everybody. him. He'll get used to it. It's annoying for everyone around him. <laughs> he like goes to get a hoagie somewhere and like everybody in line just hears his heart rate like my <laughs> god <laughs> yeah 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 
but yeah, it's supposed to like dam uh not damage the opposite of that regulate his <laughs> biological functions to kind of hopefully kind of slow down his like increasing mass and strength that's happening. So he should theoretically not be growing at least not as exponentially with the suit on. However, it works. One little other thing from the scene that I liked is there's a point when he has to go through a door, but like he doesn't want to break it. So Gwen like gently opens it for him. Yeah, really that was like really sweet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like she like he doesn't have to ask, like she automatically offers to do it. Mm-hmm. Gwen is cool and yep. doesn't deserve the bad situation she's in at the end of the Oh episode. my god. Just move. <laughs> Leave New York City. <laughs> move. <Yep>. Gosh. <sighs> okay, we'll get to that. All of this is to say he's in this suit, it's helping him, but there is like a thing that's dangled. John makes a joke and Kurt's like, Oh yeah, that's funny. Good to keep your sense of humor because we would need that to monitor if the spores are going to affect your brain and affect you psychologically, which is like, uh-oh, oh. put a pin in that for later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. This Yikes. Yeah, this episode isn't subtle at all, or at least anything they do with Colonel Jupiter is not subtle. But it, it, it works because he's yeah. not subtle. Nothing about him is subtle. Like, everything about him is very straightforward, very sort of, like, in your face, and there's no real, like mystery to him it's just straightforwardness so it's it's interesting that the storytelling and the writing that surrounds him is that way too yeah because he's kind of meant to be sort of like a superman type character like i mean they even reference it later on that's not yeah. like making an astute observation but like he's set up to just sort of be like oh you're your most standard milk toast superhero guy that's just a very nice man who wants to do good, mm-hmm. and that's nice. And how you can be completely, utterly ruined. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yay! <laughs> this is actually like kind of a really dark episode. That's like, funny, actually. Honestly. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. Yeah. 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 Mm. Like it doesn't feel like it doesn't mm. feel like edgy when you're watching it or whatever. But like when you think about it, like everything with John is really fucking dark. There's a statement here. There's a there's a statement for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll get to that, or we'll we'll, we'll maybe see how we how we explore that as we sure. go along. But uh, but back back in Midtown, this is finally finally we get uh, a kind of picking up where the last episode left off. As we remember, Flash had asked Shoshana out to his to uh, as his date to his birthday party, and she did not show up. So he's found her uh, at school and asks her why she didn't come to his party. <laughs> she just she just flatly says like, "Why would I?" Uh rad. Love her already. Queen. What a fucking queen. I love Fantastic. her so much. My note, actually, that I wrote down during this sequence where we like, kind of get to know Shashan a little bit is that MJ and Shashan should date. I think they would be so rad together. I think they would be great. Yeah. They'd be really yeah. great. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So she's like, why would I? And Flash, obviously, is as we've seen, is, is really like dense about this. Literally just, just cannot comprehend how someone could not see him as like like the hottest best person in school <laughs> he doesn't mean to do this but like just because he can't comprehend this like he ends up being really extremely condescending he's like oh oh you didn't understand you were my date yep that's <laughs> why you just... would come because you were my date <laughs> yeah yeah and she literally doesn't care it's no. great it's so great she's just like what 
I don't care. I literally, like, I can't, exp- I can't explain to you how much I don't care. Mm-hmm. And he does the whole, like, don't you know who I am thing? And the nice detail is that there's literally, like, a football poster with another poster in the background that's, like, says, like, Flash is number one or whatever. <laughs> so, like, it makes sense why his head is so big because he's been enabled. Sure. <laughs> There are literally two cheerleaders in the hallway who start cheering for him when he asks this question. Yeah, it's like legit just like what what fame can do to you just on like the high school level. Yeah. Um, just like how it fucks with your brain, which I wonder if there's a parallel with like the way that like fame affects Flash and the way that like power kind of affects John in a way. Hmm. I don't know if that might be kind of a reach around, but like I can sort of see light parallels there. Hmm. Yeah, I'll ruminate on that a little bit. But yeah, 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 for sure. But yeah, he's like, don't you know who I am? And Shashan like has a nice little like model. Like you know, he goes through how he like did this great play and even like cost it cost him life and limb because he broke his leg without great that play was. And Shashan's like, I've literally never seen you throw a pass, but I have seen you like set off the sprinklers in the in chem lab or whatever. I so, like, love this. Yeah, it's like I don't I I'm not in the world that you're in. So what your accomplishments in that world are don't apply to yeah. my world. What I see in my world is like a big dummy asshole, yeah. so I don't care. It's brilliant. <laughs> because yeah, yeah, it's exactly that. Like you're at the top of your world, you're at the bottom of mine. We we talked last week about like Flash going through the moment that many people go through where they realize like, wait, not everybody cares who I am. And I don't think anybody could illustrate it better than to basically be like, you're kind of a total doofus and negligible in my world. (laughs) Yeah. It's so good. And she doesn't like deliver it in like an incredibly mean way. Like it's very matter matter of fact. fact. It's cool because I think that like, that's a thing that a lot of teen like movies and like teen media stuff, I think almost gets wrong a little bit about high school and and it's out of necessity for like storytelling stuff. But the whole idea, which even this show has done, this is really the only moment where this is applied. But a lot of times where it's sort of like, there's just the general high school hierarchy that everyone falls into. So like, oh yeah, everyone knows the popular kids and then these are the nerds and that all applies across the board. But the reality is that like, because everyone has their own cliques, everyone is sort of always operating within their own little bubbles all the time, Mm -hmm. even within something as small as high school. And I think that's really true to life. Like it's not that, that everyone's going to recognize the popular guy and everyone's going to be subservient to them or whatever. Or or it's also not like Shashan is just trying to do the whole, like, I'm not like other girls. Yeah. Like, she just <laughs> It's not that she recognizes anything about him and is, like, actively trying to, like, root against it or anything or fight against it. It's that it literally does not cross paths with the world that she's living in because the circles that she runs in and the life that she leads just has nothing to do with the football clique that yeah. exists. Yeah, which is, it's so cool. Well, and from her perspective, that's it's exactly why she would say, why would I go to your party? Like, there's re- there's no reason I would go. Like, yeah. We're yeah, not connected in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love I love all this stuff. It's so good. Because it would really be good. so easy to be, like, kind of annoying and tropey and everything. But it always, it comes out with you understanding, like, why both of them are, like, the way that they are. And it just, like, it all, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. It's great. Flash still comes out looking like a dick, but, like, you understand why he, why he is how he is. Because he's, he's, he's soft and vulnerable, and he's lashing out. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He has a shitty little moment at the end of it. Like, after Shashan, like, you know, has basically kind of schooled him and left, he's like, well, I can date any girl I want in this crummy school. Yep. But he does still have, like, a little sad look, even after, like, 
cheerleaders are literally like hugging him and everything. Like he knows, he knows that he's he's putting on a face for he's in denial right now. Oh yeah. Well, we get a monologue after this from Kenny that certainly applies to what just happened. But I'll be curious if you think it applies to anything else because I don't I don't have any context for this one. Uh, reputation, reputation, reputation. Oh, I have lost my reputation. I have lost the immortal part of myself, and what remains is bestial. Do you think that applies to anything more than just Flash? Yeah, I oh, I think it's I don't think it's that complicated, but I think it's just sort of split because uh, it's from Othello, right? And I think that definitely applies to Flash. I think it also the bestial part applies to John right after this because he's man wolf, <laughs> right? Because he's man wolf. No, I think the idea because because you know Othello's whole arc is sort of like he's kind of pushed from being like a scorned hero into like doing really horrible things and becoming okay. like a bad person. Oh, okay. By the end of it. And I think John, he doesn't go through the same arc as Othello does. But in terms of being, John is also pushed by a villainous figure. Like Iago pushed Othello, John is pushed ultimately by Venom into doing horrible things and becoming like just a horrible person that is just just like a monstrous beast, essentially. That's cool. Okay, nice. Yeah. I like that because it's not even just like a, um, that's not even just like it applies to this and it applies to this. Kenny's line is like literally a bridge between these two scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Smart writers. <laughs> <laughs> so outside the Connors lab, Jonah, John, and Peter catch a cab. And John laments at losing any possibility of living a normal life again, which is sparked by the fact that when he gets in the cab, the back end of the cab drags on the ground. Which is kind of a sad moment for him to realize, like, oh, I guess I'll just be huge. And Peter, Peter hears this, obviously, because he's in the cab with them. And he kind of kind of gets what John is going through, this idea that, like, he'll never be able to live a normal life again. So he tries to offer consolation and sort of, like, present the idea of purpose by doing what, you know, Spider-Man is wont to do. And starts to say, you know, maybe with great powers can come. And obviously, he was going to say great responsibility. But Jonah mm-hmm. has no time for anything Peter has to say. Interrupts him with a phone call. <laughs> and yep. is very excited by what he is hearing on the other end of the phone. Yep, yep, yep. The message he relays, or the summary he gives as to the information he gets on the phone, is Spider-Man is back in black and on a crime spree. Which, of course, perks Peter's ears up. And not in a good way. Yeah. So Jonah tells John that he's going to stop Spider-Man. He's like, hey, my son is a superhero now, right? <laughs> God. It's, it's so Jonah does not have a – it's not a good look for Jonah in this episode. Like it fits his character. But oh, like, yeah. But it is not – it's like him at his worst in this episode because he just – he kind of inadvertently destroys his son a little bit because he like kind of pushes him into this. Yep. And it's and it's all – you know, it's exposing his own hypocrisy too because Jonah, Jonah is like – I've got a son. He's got a cool suit. He's got cool powers. He's a superhero. And even and even and even jo- uh, John is like, Dad. Like you say, like literally every day on the hour, how much you hate superheroes. And Jonah clarifies his distinction in his head that it's like, no, he hates masked superheroes mm-hmm. um, specifically. He hates people that are hiding their identity. I know who you are. You're not hiding your face. You are a actual hero and an astronaut. So you, I know you're good. So you can do it. You're beloved. So it'll be fine. The rationalization makes sense in Jonah's head. Totally. But obviously John isn't comfortable with this. Nope. So like, still not great. But that said, uh, you know, Peter's like, hey, you ever think that maybe like Spidey didn't do this? And Jonah's like, no, hell no. <laughs> do you know who I am? I'm J. Jonah Jameson, you idiot. Like what? 
Why would that? Do you really think that would convince me? Come on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's so dismissive too. Cause I think he even says like, that's neither here nor there. Or like, he basically is just like, he, he basically dismisses what Peter says as like irrelevant to the situation. Yeah. It's like, no, it's very relevant to the situation. <laughs> I know it comes up. A, I know it comes up a lot, but does, um, it, does Peter mention the chameleon situation here to Jonah? I don't believe he mentions it to Jonah. I believe Peter. It's the next scene. Peter wishes for that to be the case. And another character references that Jonah has fucked up before. But yeah. I don't know if if the chameleon has specifically. I don't think Peter's the one who presents it to him. Somebody does, though, indirectly. I knew that it is later. I just couldn't remember if, if Peter brings up like Spider-Man's been framed before in the scene or not. Because I, I remember that it comes up a lot in this episode, which I love. I love that they yeah. no, that nobody has amnesia on this show like most <laughs> right. shows do. So. Yeah, no, I think, he, I think it, he's just responding to Jonah saying like, my son's going to stop Superman. Or Superman. My son's going <laughs> to stop Spider-Man. And I think that's right. when Peter's like, do you ever think? And so, I mean, I think that's all he says, really. Gotcha. Makes sense. So later, Spider-Man is patrolling the city, and like we said, he's he no one has amnesia on the show, and he's hoping that the person who's framing him is Chameleon, because he knows that if it's not Chameleon, the only other likely possibility is that it would be Venom, which is really a snub to Mysterio, I must say. Well, yeah, it is, but Mysterio, Mysterio never actually did it, so he doesn't he have a point of reference. Done it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Mysterio, I'm being offended for Mysterio here. Yeah. Because Mysterio would take great objection to Chameleon being the only one who could pull this off. <laughs> yeah, because he definitely, right, he definitely could. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, in this moment, like, that is that is what he is, he's hoping for Chameleon because he knows it could be worse and it could be Venom. As he's sort of, like, having this thought, he sees an armored truck spin out of control and crash. So he decides to investigate, and when he's checking on the driver... We see a black web shoot from off camera, grab Spider-Man by the back, basically, and pull him up onto a nearby roof. And uh, when he lands, we see Venom sort of loom over him. And then we cut away. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. yes. I think he drops a bro in there, doesn't he? Or is that later? Oh, yeah. He drops a very sinister bro. (laughs) I, I will say, as much as I harped on the overuse of bro in the last season... I'm fine with it the way that they've been using it here because because they've turned it on its head to make it such a like a sinister like creepy thing. Yeah, I'm good with it. Yeah, I think it I think it works a lot better. It still doesn't justify how often it was used in the first season, but it, <laughs> it works. It works here. They had to um, establish it, man. <laughs> <laughs> Not every episode, and every line. <laughs> Hello, bro. How are you doing, bro? I'm doing fine, bro. How are you, bro? <laughs> I do hope that it sort of like intentionally was meant to be over the top and it ends up turning into something that is akin to over the top in that it is sinister now. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So hopefully it was always meant to be kind of annoying. (laughs) I could see that being the intention because it because I mean, it does it does help it because it was so highlighted. Yeah. That like now it's like it's like Venom's catchphrase essentially that is like. A horrific thing to hear because that means something bad is about to happen. Yup, yup. Yeah, it went from being annoying to being like legitimately dangerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is kind of genius, honestly. So, yeah, so we cut to, uh, before we cut to commercial, we cut to a monologue from Shashan who delivers this very well. It's a really, it's a, it's a good one. So I'm glad you get this one. <laughs> yeah, um, why shrewest thou sugar on that bottled spider whose deadly web ensnareth thee about? Fool, fool, the day will come to curse this venomous bunch-backed toad. 
That's from Richard the Third, which I'm not as familiar. I don't. I don't. Not really as familiar with. So I'm not sure what the context for that one is. So no idea. <laughs> all I can say about that one is that it is what it sounds because it references a spider and deadly webs and the word venomous and there's you know cursing this toad and there, somebody's mad at something I don't know I didn't look up what that, what that one means and I don't know who said it or why sorry <laughs> some of these some of these quotes they 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 tweak slightly they do yes. and venomous it was not originally there. <laughs> Oh, it's I didn't a synonym, catch that one. I think for poisonous. The only reason I know is because oh. I was looking. Because again, and I double checked this time. I don't have subtitles, and I don't think there's any way for me to turn them on. And it's oh, that's fr- so dumb. frustrating the shit out of me. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so for these quotes, I was looking it up because some of them were really difficult to understand. Yeah. So I wanted to that's make sure I was getting them as close to right as possible, and then tweaking them based on what they were saying. So yeah. But I mean, the spider and web and all that stuff was obviously still there. So. It makes sense why they why they chose it. Yeah, and there might be more to it. I don't know, but that one I feel like is pretty straight. It's pretty straightforward. It's it's complicated as it is. It's just the fun words that reference the episode yeah. <laughs> more than the content of it. Yeah, but I don't know if you're more familiar with Richard the Third. I could literally just look it up on Spark Notes right now. But if you're more familiar with Richard uh, the Third, that's not fun. <laughs> yeah, we if don't you're need familiar to do with that. it. Let us know if you think that there's that there's a bigger tie from uh, from this pair of lines based yeah. on uh, on context of it because I would love to know because I love Shakespeare. It's always great. I love learning yeah, more about yeah. it. The next one is fun. Do you want to read the next one because it's a fun? Oh, one. sure. <laughs> This is from Sally. Uh, She's in the same setting as everybody else, but because she's Sally, she's cheering and screaming this one. And it's, oh, villain, villain, smiling, cursed villain. One might smile and smile and be a villain. Go villain. (laughs) I love the go villain at the end. It's so good. (laughs) It's like it's bad enough that, like, obviously she doesn't know what she's saying. But then it, like, like, it's not even that, like, oh, she's doing a cheer out of it. It's all she knows. But then the fact that, like, she can't even tell the context of it. So it's Mm -hmm. literally saying go villain. It's so good. Not to, like, break down that joke to make it unfunny. I just think it's a really funny joke. (laughs) No, it's great. It's great. It's genius, actually. I mean, it's a genius quote to pull for her specifically because you can you can get in her brain, right? Like, well, they're saying villain a bunch of times, so clearly, (laughs) yeah, it's just so funny. (sighs) That is that's another one they change because the instead of cursed they say damned. Yeah. So understandable why they changed that one for kids. I think anytime they say cursed, you can. You can just change it to damned or damned. Yeah. And that one comes from Hamlet. I knew that one very well. Um, I don't think that there's anything more to pull from that other than literally talking about a villain. Because that's villain Hamlet. Who smiles. Because <laughs> it's literally just Hamlet being mad at Claudius. So, like, I don't think there's more to it. Which is fine. Because that fits Sally, too. That she would get the most simplistic Shakespeare yeah. line ever. Well, And they don't all have to be <laughs> deep. They just need to apply. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. And they all do so far. Yeah, definitely. I'm into it. Yeah, so, you know, now we're back back at the fight scene on that rooftop. Venom tosses Spider-Man into, like, an electrical box or whatever. It's just a way to get some cool electricity effects. Falls onto a puddle of uh, of the armored truck's gasoline below, which, uh, or, sorry, rather, the electric- electricity box, I should have said, falls into the armored truck's gasoline. So that starts fire. Fire's not great. Quickly spreads to the entire building. So that's not fun. And there's people in that building, so that's also not fun. And they're all screaming in the fire that they're in. <laughs> Second episode in a row where there's like uh, some sort of like horrific fire situation. <laughs> yeah, and they're both yep, like yep, yep. they're both like terrible fires. Like one is an oil fire, another's like a gasoline fire. <laughs> like yeah, it's just yeah. terrible. <laughs> 
Yeah. But uh, Turtle Jupiter is like only a block away and he hears that this is going on because it's a terrible fire and a big fight happening. And he's thinking, like kind of debating like, oh, I should call some help. But wait, I have superpowers now. Am I help now? I love that. Am I help? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, so he ultimately he is like it, they've set him up to be a very heroic type of guy. Right. Like we saw him in the, in the Green Goblin episode last season. Like he's perfectly willing to storm into battle if he needs to. So makes sense that he would make this pivot pretty quickly to deciding, OK, guess I'm a superhero now. So he like takes off like the the kind of like weights on his his uh, his boots, which means that because of his like increased mass and strength, because he's like dealing because the spores come from the gravity of Jupiter, that means that he's kind of operating as if he was on Jupiter with Jupiter's gravity. So basically, <laughs> he can he can literally leap tall buildings in a single bound, which he literally calls out, and he even has a nice little like biotic man kind of jumping sound effect. He with does it, which is really cool. every time he jumps, you get the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> that slinky noise they're very particularly calling out that he's like an old school yeah. kind of hero like yeah. he is it's it's fun i dig it they don't try to shoehorn him into this 2009 setting like they they adapt him his look they tweak some things but ultimately like they're not trying to make him not colonel jupiter you know what i mean like they're not trying to make him cool <laughs> Because he's not cool. He's a big dork. He's not cool at all. Yeah. Um, Which I actually think is, one, like, really fun, but two, really important for where it ends up going. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So (laughs) on that rooftop where Spidey and Venom are fighting, Spider-Man asks Venom if he's trying to frame him or destroy him. He says, I'm confused. Which one are you doing? Venom replies that all they want to do is destroy every aspect of spider-man's life <laughs> which is not good <laughs> that's a, little, a reason a little to be paranoid for sure <laughs> um i think he even says like by the time i'm done with you everyone will hate you as much as i do oh um, no he, he specifies everyone will hate you almost as much as oh okay <laughs> again that's even better queen yeah that's drama even queen. better but the point being like he he really i mean it's not enough for him to just kill him. He needs to humiliate him. He needs to destroy his reputation. Like this venom is out to completely shred any semblance of respect, glory, anything, good feelings towards Spider-Man that anybody has, which is fucking horrifying. So uh, venom continues to kick Spider-Man's butt uh, pretty heartily. And he also prevents him from helping the folks in the burning building. I think Spider-Man even calls out like there are people who need my help. And Venom stops him from helping. Venom talks a little bit more shit. We see him for just a moment look away from Spidey. And then he just leaps away. And for a second, you're like, okay, bye. Um, But then (laughs) from the direction that Venom was looking, Colonel Jupiter jumps in and lands on the roof and introduces himself to Spider-Man. So Venom wasn't about to stick around for, you know, whoever this dork in a suit is. Wasn't the purpose for him being there. Hello, amazing friends. We just wanted to take a quick moment to shout out our spectacular and up patrons, Gemma Nicole, Katie, Joe, Greg, Mike, Flux, Eric, and Carl. If you would like to join our Patreon, we have a ton of great bonus content waiting for you. We have our Spider Bites, where we talk about pretty much whatever we want in the Spider-Man universe, such as comics, like the current Miles Morales series, and classics like Craven's Last Hunt. 
Sometimes we do deep dives into Spider-Man stuff, like our miniseries on the unmade Spider-Man movies. Or we spin off into other topics, like the Blade movies or the Firestar comics. Sometimes we'll do some bonus content just because we happen to have it, like peeks behind the curtain or how we make certain episodes. And if you join us at the $5 Spectacular level, you also get access to our After Dark commentaries, where we let loose and talk about shows that aren't Spider-Man related without a filter. Shows like Gargoyles, Batman Beyond, Muppet Babies, and more. Ultimately, these are the types of things that we're going to talk about anyway, so recording it and making it available on Patreon is our way of saying thank you so much for supporting this show and letting us do the types of things we really want to do. Whatever tier you opt into, thank you so much. Whether you're an avid listener or just stopping by, we appreciate that too. From your friendly neighborhood podcasters, thank you. So the two... The two being Spider-Man and and Colonel Jupiter get to business saving the folks who are inside the burning building. Jupiter saves like an older couple who we saw like just a moment ago when I think like Venom ripped something off the ground and it like peeked into their home and they were either scared or making out. I don't know. One of the two. And then we see Spider-Man save a bunch of people. He made like a web slide to the ground below, which looks very fun. Um, another oh, yeah. slide, by the way. Uh, I really like the slide situation. I like I like this idea of like a slide surrounded by like fire and danger and explosions. I feel like it's really very much like tangled, but with explosions, and I feel very into that vibe. Yeah, I could be yeah. more into that. We could do more of that, please. Please, um, a slide a fun slide surrounded by fire in every episode. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um so we see spider-man do this slide thing explosion thing tangled thing and then we see jupiter save some combination of people i mean it doesn't really matter from falling inside spider-man saves a parrot with a web parachute which i love i love me a web parachute and then colonel jupiter saves spider-man because the ceiling almost falls on him so lots of saving going on in this yep. moment yes there really is i think it's the sequence like isn't it like a uh, yeah yeah? There's like a mom with her with her kid, right? I'm assuming like, that's who they are. Yeah, like they're both like hanging from like a, a like a landing or something. Yeah, and it's funny because like he rescues the mom, but the kid's still kind of like stuck stuck, you know, a level above them, like screaming. Colonel Jupiter doesn't even look; he just like hits the wall, which like shakes the kid loose from the top and then catches the kid, like he's without such even an looking. Idiot. It's he's so such funny. An idiot. <laughs> it's so funny. It's amazing, so funny. but he's so stupid. <laughs> it's weird though because he's ju- he like he's. He's John Jameson, and I know that he's, like, being affected by these spores, but it's, like, weird. I'm like, what are you – like, why did you think that was a good – it worked, but why did you think that was a good idea, sir? I felt like it was more of a signal of just, like, how confident he is and comfortable he is with his powers. Yeah, that's true. That's that's a good point. It's not it's not stupidity more. It's just confidence. And yeah, that's a fine it's just, line. like, I, can, <laughs> I don't have to really even pay attention. I know I can k- save this kid without literally even looking. I got this. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which it's so funny that like it escalates so quickly, but like I think it checks out. I think it all makes sense because he's already, he already – I feel like he was already kind of on the road to being that kind of person to begin with. So Yeah. Well, and you know, I mean we brought up the heart rate monitor. It wouldn't be there if it didn't matter. And I think it's important to note that like what the two of them just did by saving a bunch of people in a burning building – would certainly, even if you're being heroic, raise your heart rate. <laughs> yeah. And it's also going to go to your head a little bit, too. Uh-huh. And I think if, he, if he's being affected by spores that, that are just kind of sort of seem to be kind of exacerbating, like, every, like, aspect of him, essentially, yep. just, like, making it bigger, like, 
like it literally applies to his ego too, I guess. Yeah. 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 And very interesting. So, you know, they finish saving everybody and then they talk on the street below and they seem like kind of chill with each other at first. Like Spidey proposes that they team up again and, and John doesn't seem to have any like ill will towards him or anything. But then they're interrupted by the armored truck driver from earlier accusing Spider-Man of causing the destruction because he saw Venom do everything. Um, and Spidey is like, you know, like, hey, what? Do you think I just like changed my clothes in the middle of this? Like, mm-hmm. obviously, the black suited one wasn't me. And Colonel Jupiter, I think, like, understands this, but his whole deal is that, like, that's fine. I might believe you, but, like, we should explain this to the police because that's, like, the lawful thing to do and the, you know, the good thing to do or whatever. And Spidey's like, dude, no. Like, I, <laughs> no. What, do you know me? Hello? Yeah, no thanks. Yeah, no, I'm not. They're going to just ask me what my secret identity is. Like, I'm not doing that. So he leaves, but, like,. <laughs> It's re- it's understandable, first of all. <laughs> like, I, uh-huh. honestly, works even better now that, like, I don't trust the police. Like, <laughs> works better now even than it did then. But even then, for Spider-Man, it makes sense why he wouldn't because he hasn't really had great re- oh, yeah. great relationships and experiences with the cops. Totally. Even then, so. Totally. Fully get it. Uh, fully on his side. I will say, like, so I'm, I'm on Spider-Man's side. But, unfortunately, just because of how these just real quick events go and the way that he kind of like the forcefulness that he has towards James towards Colonel Jupiter or whatever, like in a way that kind of humiliates him, like kind of sucks. Like it doesn't make him look great, but I get it. Basically like what happens is that like Spidey tries to flip off. Colonel Jupiter just grabs his webbing. So Spidey has to kind of outmaneuver him, but like the way he outmaneuvers him is by like jumping on his head. Such a punk. <laughs> yeah. Which is like a shitty thing to do. Like uh-huh. obviously it's going to like annoy him, makes Colonel Jupiter understandably frustrated and mad. So Colonel Jupiter like jumps up after him and then Spidey just like kicks him in the chest to have mm-hmm. him land into the ground, like in like a crater, which is like, a sh- you know, y'all were just working well together. Like, I know you're trying to escape and he's really super strong. And I guess like from Spidey's point of view, this is kind of how he interacts with like everybody. Yep. Like he can be a little stinker. And you know, if he does it with like <laughs> black cat, she's just going to be like, Ooh, that's hot. Yeah. But like with this guy, it was the wrong person to do it to. And I feel like he should know that. And it's a real miss miscalculation on Spider-Man's part. Like I yeah. do put a significant amount of the blame on him for acting like he does. Cause he is being very childish and all it does is, Make Colonel Jameson mad. <laughs> but he also rarely interacts with anybody who is sort of on his level or close to his level that isn't malicious towards him in some way. That's true, yeah. And, you know, the people who aren't on his level aren't necessarily always great either. So it's like, it's totally his fault, but he also has, like, developed no social skills like in this particular context, you know, like this is a Spider-Man who, if approached by the Avengers would be like, <laughs> no, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> excuse me. And just like be a dick to all of them. Cause he just yeah. has no, he's no reference point. Like black cat. Okay. <laughs> like, no, that makes a lot of sense though. You're it, it, the, the ideal situation would be that that's kind of that this whole episode is a growth moment for him for how he would theoretically deal with meeting other superheroes who were like good people. Right. Because you're right. He never interacts with, like, like there's never been a superhero guest star on this show. Like, everybody that's, like, a good guy that he interacts with is still, like, a thief or, like, a jerk <laughs> or whatever. Like, <laughs> this uh-huh. is, like, really the first time that he's actually dealing with someone who kind of fits the just very pure, pure superhero mold. And he doesn't know, like, what to do with it. Like, <laughs> he's just yeah. a little stinker. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, the moment it turns, so does he, you know, doesn't, doesn't, <laughs> just, just doesn't handle it well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. <laughs> so this happens, right? He humiliates Colonel Jupiter. We see that all of this sort of exacerbates the already increasing heart rate of Colonel Jupiter, which we've called out a couple times. And as he's laying in the crater with his heart rate monitor going bonkers, we see Venom peek around a building, watching Colonel Jupiter, having a moment of realization, and all but licking his lips at this brand new opportunity to fuck with Spider-Man even more. Dude, his tongue is, like, flowing in the wind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's he's in a good place right now from his perspective. He's living yeah. he's living his best life. <laughs> oh, I wish I wish that I could be on board with him. <laughs> I wish that he wasn't like like a sociopath that was like gaslighting people and uh-huh. just, like, just psychologically tormenting everyone. Yep. <laughs> uh, I would be totally on your side, buddy. Come on. If you weren't doing <sighs> everything that you're doing. <laughs> I know, it's such a tragedy. Oh, it's well. So well, Another potential tragedy. Doesn't seem like it's a tragedy right yet, but it will be a tragedy by the end of this episode, <laughs> honestly. At Midtown, um, Harry and Gwen are in the middle of a conversation. We don't really hear, like, what it is. We just kind of hear kind of, like, like little bits and pieces of it. So they're in the middle of a conversation when Liz and Peter kind of uh, stop by Peter's locker nearby. Is that the moment with, like, she thinks he's smoking because of his spider suit? Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just a little, like, co- comedy thing. It's just like, are you smoking? And he's like, no, I would never smoke. I would and never. Then, <laughs> yeah, and then it's it's because it's the fire of his spider suit, and he has a little I- internal remark, like, oh, God, I didn't wash my spider suit. Gross. Smoking wouldn't really do much for him anyway, because he has super spider breath. <laughs> That's true. Can you imagine yeah. how much, like, let's explore this for just one moment. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> If Spider-Man, at least this Spider-Man, or definitely the 1981 Spider-Man, smoked weed, mm-hmm. it would do, like, nothing, right? Yeah. Um, He's kind of like me, because when <laughs> I smoke, it does nothing for me either. I have to do edibles. You were Spider-Man. I'm Spider-Man, yeah. <laughs> but, okay, give him some gummy bears. I think he'll be fine. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, because that's, yeah, that's not respiration. So I guess, yeah, yeah. Spider-Man is an edibles-only kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> I'm glad we figured this out. I feel a real kinship with Peter that I never felt before. <laughs> I would never. Because <laughs> it wouldn't work. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's just a fun little joke. The important part is that they're there in this moment nearby where Harry and Gwen are having what seems to be an important conversation. Because we hear Harry say to Gwen, say something, please. Oh, so uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. Gwen doesn't say anything, but after he asks this question, she sees over his shoulder Liz kiss Peter on the cheek as they happily walk away. And that's when she decides to nod in agreement towards Harry and Harry celebrates. And Peter sees the two walk away arm in arm. So you can kind of guess what's happening and it is not healthy. It is like (laughs) the saddest nod. It's like, Gwen, 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 talk to MJ. Talk to Shashan. Talk. Don't talk to Glory. Talk to either of those two women. Mm-hmm. They will give you such good advice. <laughs> it's frustrating because, like, I get. It, it's like I get where it's coming from, right? And it's frustrating totally. because, like, Gwen has been growing this season and been more able to like kind of stand up for herself. And it's sort of like, okay, good girl, you're going in your right direction. I'm glad. I'm happy for you. But like, obviously, she's so profoundly hurt. It went from a wishy-washy situation, but I think there was always the possibility that her and Peter would work out if he figured out his shit. But I think it's such like a hurtful gut punch for Peter to then just start dating another girl 
that it's like she's vulnerable and lonely and this is just how she's responding to it and it sucks but like i get it like i don't endorse it but it's like no it totally makes sense yeah she's only doing this because a she's lonely and b i think you know there's an understandable part inside of her that wants to sort of either get back at peter or be on the same level as peter and that the only way to do that is to get a boyfriend and she's being offered that right right on the silver platter so. i think it could be that i think it could also be like you said she's been growing this season and standing up for herself and i think part of what that is is the cat like this category of sort of behavioral and attitudinal shifts that is like ownership of things right so like she's taking control of the situation when she stands up to peter and i think another thing that would give her that same feeling even though this doesn't look like it in the moment would be to say yes to a relationship right like yeah, she's she probably feels like she's choosing this and she is but I, I could see those things sort of being entangled, right? Like I'm standing up for myself. I don't need Peter. I've I've I'm not gonna be second fiddle, right? And I can I can choose my own path and Harry is offering another path. And so I could see this being simply like another piece of that that building up that she's doing, but just a like the wrong piece, you know? Um, but right. it probably feels like it's part of that building. Right. It's like it's 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 amazing like the lengths that we can go through in terms of like kind of self-denial uh, and rationalization, like when we're hurting or even yeah. if we don't know that we're hurting, when we're still kind of going through something and haven't processed it. And then it's just like when we're not confronting, like what we're not, we're, or I mean, in her case, not just not able to really confront what we're going through. Cause I think really she just needs time to not be in space from Peter, but she can't have it because she goes to school with him and it goes to work with him and is in the same circles. As him. So she's constantly seeing the thing that's hurting her most and reopening that wound. And there's how she can, how can she heal from that? So like, it, and, and it's so easy to just like desperately be searching for a way to not be hurting from it. And this is a potential out to not be hurting from it anymore. So yeah, it's it's really it's really frustrating. And it's like it's so deep and it happens so quickly, but it's so like it's so real. Like I fully get it. Like I get it. Yeah, no part of this is unbelievable, I don't think. I hate that she's stuck in this situation, but and it's like uh, I, want, uh, I just want her to like like you said, she needs her own like she's she's doing her she's trying to do her own thing, but it's hard because she's so entangled with Peter and so many aspects of her life. But Harry yeah. is too. Like she needs to hang out with MJ, who's who's capable of being in any social situation and group. So she doesn't need to be a part of Peter's social circle. Mm-hmm. And then she can hang out with Shashan too, who's literally not in anybody's circle that we know so yeah. far. Like, yeah. like Gwen, just go have a have a whole like awesome like slumber party weekend with Mary Jane and Shashan. Get it all out. They'll listen. <laughs> they won't care. They won't be mad about it. Make it about you, girl. Like, they'll be there for you. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't know if Shoshan would, but MJ would. <laughs> yeah. Shoshan doesn't really care about any of them. And I love her yeah. for that. <laughs> yeah. I love that there's a character who's, like, distinctly not part of any of this. Who's just yeah. like, who are you people? <laughs> yeah. She's not even, because she's a sophomore. So she's little, She's not even in their grade. She's, she's younger than like, them. Why? Why am I part of this world? I don't want to be. I don't want to be exactly. here. Leave me alone. Can I go to class? Thanks. Uh, yeah, Flash is just some older boy bothering her. <laughs> yeah, it's even worse in that context. It's just like, dude, kid, no. Oh, that's so funny. Uh, 
<sighs> Can we get a spinoff of this with just all of the, the girls? Like, all of them? It would be great. Even right? Sa- You could even throw Sally in there. That's fine. I just think it would be fascinating. It would be, because there's such there's distinct personalities, and, you know, just by the nature yeah. of what this show is, you can only see but so much of them. So if, like, separate it out from the superheroing uh, stuff and let them have their, have their stuff. Imagine, Especially considering... Imagine this show lives on into many more seasons, and we do get the episode where the girls have a slumber party. And it's just, like, yeah. so good and so amazing, because they're all so great. <laughs> Yeah, it'd oh, be so the good. Girls night out. They're probably actually be some episode title. What they could do is they could do one of those like typically corny, but like you could do cool things with it if you wanted to. Episodes where you like split the boys and the girls, and like yeah. not all the girls actually hang out with each other, so like it's a little bit weird. Not all the boys hang out with each other, so it's a little bit weird. But you do it anyway, and everybody kind of learns something from it. Yeah, I want that episode yeah. from the show. God, and they were getting, <laughs> and because they were getting more experimental with this season, like I could see that happening down the line as it as it, as it progressed. Yeah, it's so funny. Ugh, so many efforts, <laughs> so many, so many, so much potential. We still have half the season left. Oh, it could happen. So much potential. <laughs> Slumber party episode. <laughs> That's the final episode of the show. Actually, it's can't a wait. Party episode. Can't I wouldn't wait. be mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right then, Flash just slams Peter into a locker. This is another Spider Sense moment. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. It's another, another Spider Sense moment. If Spider Sense goes off in the school hallway, it's not a villain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But the reason he slams him into a locker is to demand Peter. He's like, okay, you got Gwen and Liz like to both like you for some reason. So clearly, there's something about you. What? What's that? How do you? How do I get? How do I get Shashan to like me? Like everybody, it seems to like Peter Parker. And Peter, Peter, the funny thing about Peter's suggestion is that this is nothing that Peter actually did. Right. <laughs> like, I don't, he just comes up with this, this, uh, this suggestion just, I guess, from like reading teen magazines or from teen movies or I whatever. So. Because Peter absolutely 100% did, never did this to get girls to like him. No. <laughs> at all. In fact, he did the opposite of this. Peter's way to get girls to like him is to ignore them until they, until they uh-huh. are like, hey, I like you. Um, I think I like you, but I don't actually know because I know nothing about you. <laughs> Peter, Peter's Peter's route to getting a girlfriend is to be an enigma and run away all the time and never and and never engage with people until they're so desperate <laughs> that they just have to throw themselves onto you. <laughs> oh man, I get it. I get it. Yep. Oh. I do too. Relatable. There's a certain energy that people have when they're aloof and pay no mind to you. <laughs> right. And I hate that that's a thing that exists <laughs> that we worst. respond to, yep. but we 100% do. Uh-huh. So, so Peter's suggestion is that Flash should take an interest in things that Shashan likes, which is not a terrible suggestion no. to make, even though it doesn't make sense that Peter would be making it. But it's not a bad suggestion. So Flash sees that Shashan is, is signing up for the school play. So he's like, okay, cool. I, too, will sign up for the school play, which is what we've been seeing monologues from this entire time. All of these people, all of these uh, characters' auditions. Ba-ba-da-ba. And this is where that is, like, explicitly called out because we get another one of these little monologues, now auditions, from Mary Jane. And she gives the lines, Doubt thou that the stars are fire? Doubt that the sun doth move? Doubt truth to be a liar, but never doubt I love. And that is from Hamlet. And that's from um, Hamlet's letter. Hamlet writes a letter to Ophelia or 
they're reading a letter that Hamlet supposedly wrote to Ophelia. I don't remember if it's real or not. I think it is. I'm thinking, trying to think of the reach around for that because, I mean, obviously there's the love thing. Like, ev- like, like everybody's getting together. There's the whole thing with Flash and Shashan and H- Harry and Gwen and 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 Peter and Liz. But I think what my reading of this would be and how that applies is that. They're reading a letter of love, a love letter that Hamlet writes to Ophelia, but then Hamlet, like, fucks with her and, like, drives her insane by, like, rejecting her. It's, like, literally drives her to suicide because of these mind games that he's trying to play to, like, fuck over Claudius and stuff. It's all complicated and Hamlet is kind of shitty. But anyway, the the ultimate (laughs) thing is that, like... Whether he loves Ophelia or not almost doesn't really matter because it ends up being like he takes a lot of inauthentic actions that ends up like ruining her and also kind of ruining him by proxy. And like we're seeing all of these people that are either in kind of bad relationships or in relationships for the wrong reason or in relationships that even if they're like there's a real connection are hurting other people or like Flash to Sean's case, like there isn't really a connection. He's trying to kind of force it by being sort of inauthentic. So like I think it's sort of a commentary on that. Isn't Venom also driving Spider-Man to ruin? Yeah! Doesn't Venom love Spider-Man? Yeah! Yes! 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 I can't believe I didn't! I didn't! I didn't! Thank you! I can't believe I didn't do that, because I feel like it's usually my thing to say that they're in love. But yeah! Yes! That's, I feel like that's, I, yeah, I think that's the connection there. It's every, it's like literally like driving people to ruin via like love in some way. And the Venom thing is a little more tenuous, but like I think it's well, there. it's obsession, right? I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's weird and, and, and. It's weird to say, but love and obsession, like, I think there's there can be a fine line there as well, especially when you're storytelling. And that's the question you can ask with Venom in any particular situation is like, okay, this kind of feels like maybe you're in love with me, but also why are you so obsessed with me? Like, which one is it? You know, like, um, so I think I think that's that's that works, even if it's not in this series as straightforwardly that as it may be in other properties. But Eddie explicitly says that he loves the symbiote. So I don't, they haven't completely taken that out of the equation. No, I think they definitely, they definitely established in the first season. Like that's, that's the, so this is the show where there's a bunch of like breaking up and dating metaphors that Spidey uses when he's leaving the symbiote. So no, I think, I think it's very, I think it's very well established here. So all the symbiote stuff is always just sort of like vaguely wrapped up in love one way or another. Even if it's not like called out in this episode in that way, I think it's still the 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 weird the weird type of love definitely applies to like these Hamlet lines, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense, makes sense. But this is so this is where we get the official kind of like the um the nerd squad showing up at the party moment and revealing that the camera is at the party. That's what we get here, where they reveal that all these monologues are, in fact, auditions because Mr. Devereaux, Sinjin, watches and <laughs> applauds after Mary Jane delivers hers. Um, he praises yeah. her audition, and we cut up to the spotlight operator, who is Mark. And Mark is looking on from above in what seems like admiration of Mary Jane. Yeah. That's kind of how everybody looks at Mary Jane, so I'm not surprised. I mean, who can blame him, really? You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Flash arrives to do his audition, which is where we get our Hobie joke, because Hobie's about to deliver his audition, and Flash interrupts and is upset when Mr. Devereaux makes him wait, and we never get to see Hobie's audition. Nope, nope. <laughs> Flash is another, like, Don't, doesn't anybody know who I am? Yep. Which is, like, because he's sort of entering a completely different world that he's not. It's like High School Musical, except in Spectacular Spider-Man. Definitely That's the only that. reference. 
It's the only reference that I'll make to High School Musical. You make as many as you want. I just won't get them. (laughs) Is Zac Efron Flash? Yeah, Zac Efron is Flash in the situation. That's right, because he dribbles a basketball. Okay, okay, I got that one. (laughs) That's right, because he dribbles the basketball. I love that that's your reference point. (laughs) That's all I got. Awesome, awesome, yeah. Anyway, (laughs) back at home. Back at home, uh, Colonel Jupiter's chilling, watching the news. Uh, but he's he's still kind of hung up on Spider Man, like, because um, there's news footage about about Spider Man. I don't know if it's the same, if it's supposed to be the same robbery or something else that Venom's doing by Spider Man. But either way, he's just sort of like, what if it is Spider Man? Like, why would he run if he's if he's innocent? And of course, as he's pondering this per- at the perfect moment, Venom shows up in his sort of like Spideyish form crashing through the window, pretending to be Spider-Man, drop-kicking Jupiter, collapsing an entire wall on him, destroying his home. Mm-hmm. It's rough. Obviously, he's going to be a little bit pissed off. What? I think, I think he'd be a little frustrated. What? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that makes him mad. So, you know, Venom Venom leaves and, and Colonel Jupiter goes leaping after him. Real missed opportunity in my mind. To have Colonel Jupiter watching the television while he's, like, baking a pie. Because it's so ridiculous that he's, like, sitting on the couch in his Jupiter suit watching TV. You may as well go full hog on that and just have him do, like, the most normal basic shit in that suit. Yeah. Yeah, I would love that. (laughs) With an apron and everything. All American. All American apple pie (laughs) with French vanilla ice cream on top. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That'd be great. Yeah. Well, we kind of referenced this moment earlier. Um, we cut to the police precinct where Jonah is demanding an answer from Captain Stacy for why Spider-Man isn't already behind bars. And because Spider-Man isn't behind bars, Jonah proposes deputizing Colonel Jupiter to help bring Spider-Man in because clearly the police aren't doing it. Captain Stacy responds, and I love this so much. Captain Stacy responds by pointing out that there are very clearly two distinctly different Spider-Men as indicated by recent footage and previous footage. So he pulls up a clip from when Spider-Man was in the black suit and compares it to footage from when Venom was carrying out a robbery and points out like, these are different people, dude. (laughs) Maybe you should chill because you fucked this up before. (laughs) Love it. Love it. I love seeing George and Jonah interact because like, yeah, because I think like you rarely ever see anyone on the same level as Jonah because everyone's either like working for him or like younger than him or just like doesn't know how to deal with him. Yeah. But like they, they sort of make it clear that like George and Jonah know each other, which makes sense. Captain of the police and like the editor in chief of the biggest newspaper. Like oh, it makes totally. sense that they would have had many interactions. So like they're on the same level. George like doesn't take shit from Jonah. So like they talk to each other like like adults in a way that we rarely ever see on this mm-hmm. show because we're so consistently dealing with like teenagers or people working for other people. So it's, it's, it's so fun to see like George just calling out on his shit and just kind of like level with him and just be like, Jonah. No. Yeah. (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's great. It's great. It's really, it's a great combination. And I wouldn't have been able to identify why necessarily, but I think, I mean, you nailed it. Like that's exactly it. Cause even the adults that we do see interact with each other are all like super in some way. So like it warps what their interactions look like. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Yeah, or they're like married, or yeah. or one is working for the other, or something like that. Like it's it's rare to just, or or they're in the criminal underground. <laughs> it's rare to just see like two regular working dudes, yeah. like <laughs> just talking. <That's>, yeah, <laughs> I, I honestly can't think of another situation that applies. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, even if you had like even when you had the doctors speaking with the Warrens, like Norman was still there, and that I think complicates that potential dynamic you know and still even like they're all working together sort of working for each other yeah so you still didn't quite get the same same vibe as this where they're very much on the same level and very much opposed in this conversation right it's great he kind of puts jonah in his place too like jonah begins to sort of be like oh okay okay (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is pretty cool yeah, I love it. I think it's it's great. Yeah, so, you know, and like you were saying, because all this has been pointing out to Jonah, and it's actually kind of like, yeah, it kind of shifted to that side. He's at least willing to scale back on his on his on his hate campaign. <laughs> and so uh, he he receives a call from Colonel Jupiter and like, you know, Jonah's going to tell him to, to hold off. But Colonel Jupiter's like got crushed Spider-Man and he's angry. He's angrily disagreeing with the idea that it isn't Spider-Man. Like he knows that it is. He insists on destroying Spidey. Like the angrier that it's funny too. I don't know if this was intentional or if this is just because of like Darren Norris's like ability to voice act, but like <laughs> the angrier that like Colonel Jupiter gets, the more that he sounds like his dad, like, <laughs> the more, the harder it is to differentiate between the two. Which is um, great in this moment because J. Jonah Jameson, who is constantly leading a crusade against Spider-Man, is being told directly, I'm going to crush Spider-Man, and has to be like, uh, maybe chill? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's really smart. It's so good. Yeah, so, you know, he's he's angry. Jonah even recognizes the spores, or as he calls them, and I checked the captions for this, that's the sporks talking. The sporks. (laughs) Incredible. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, like he's smart enough to recognize that, that there's something seriously wrong and it's got to be these alien spores affecting his brain. But when he when he mentions it, Jupiter just like says, fuck it and crushes the communications device to continue going after Spider-Man, which is worrying. Uh, Yeah. And it doesn't take him very long to find Spider-Man. He ends up finding him at what I'm guessing is like an astronomy museum or some sort of science museum. And he tackles him right through the front of the building into a room with a bunch of like massive model planets, which is a fun setting for this particular fight. Yes. And then after that, we cut to another monologue, this time from Liz. And she gives it, she does a really good job. And they even do like a nice like camera pan circling around her as she's doing it that they don't do with anyone else. It's really nice. But uh, her little line is, oh, it is excellent to have giant strength. But it is uh, tyrannous to use it like a giant, which is from the play Measure for Measure, which I have literally no knowledge on. I think it's a comedy, I think. If you had asked me to list as many Shakespeare plays as I knew, that never would have come up. I recognize the title of it. Um, I like just from the Shakespeare class that I took, but it wasn't the ones that we actually read and looked at, I don't think. Mm -hmm. No, I know, because I would remember something from it. I I literally know nothing about it. So I don't have any context for it. And this is one that does seem really straightforward. Pretty straightforward. It's basically great power, great responsibility, as written by William Shakespeare. Exactly. But that said, (laughs) if you you know measure for measure and have more context for it, I would be interested to know if there's, depending on – like who says it and what they what like what it means in the context of the play if it might mean something different totally. or more I would be interested to hear. So let us yeah. know. Yeah. 
So in this same fight here in this lovely astronomy room, Colonel Jupiter accuses Spider-Man of changing costumes. Basically, you can see this transformation from believing Spider-Man to being spurned by Spider-Man to watching the news, which is inaccurate, uh, claiming... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Uh, Oh, no. Claiming that this is Spider-Man then being attacked by the black-suited Spider-Man, which is the picture that the news used, and then being convinced that, in fact, that's what's happening. Like, you can see the whole journey, um, and it culminates in this moment where he's like, clearly you're changing! (laughs) And he decides the way to solve this is by throwing a very large model Earth and a very large model Jupiter at (laughs) Spider-Man. Clever. Which is funny. So Spider-Man also recognizes, based on the increased heart rate, which everybody can see and hear, and John's change in behavior, because he did know John prior to this, that the spores have affected John's mind, and he attempts to restrain him. He tries to use his webs. Webbing doesn't work, so Spider-Man uses the Jupiter model that was thrown at him and tries to, like, kind of, like, not run Colonel Jupiter over, but knock him over because he recognizes, like, I'm not big enough to do this, but maybe this planet is. So uses Jupiter to knock out Jupiter. Har har. <laughs> it's oh. funny. <laughs> I mean, funny. <laughs> it is, I mean, it is funny. It's, <laughs> and then it gets then it gets dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, because like they go from I'm gonna roll Jupiter into you because they. I mean, they again they don't try to make Colonel Jupiter cool. So, like, his name isn't cool. And so the way that they sort of initially propose his defeat is also, like, appropriately comical, right? Like, I'm going to hit you with Jupiter, Colonel Jupiter. But, like you said, yeah, it gets dark really quick because what happens is this contact with the Jupiter model knocks him into contact with two electrical cables that I guess were holding other planets up. Mm -hmm. They must have been, like, lit or something, which is actually pretty cool. Yeah. But when he's electrocuted by these cables, he begins to shrink. And Spider-Man's like, hey, wait a second. Dr. Connors attempted to eliminate the spores via electricity. Maybe it wasn't the spores that were the problem. It was the electricity that was the problem. He must not have been using enough. And this is where shit gets fucked up. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Because he leads Colonel Jupiter into a Van de Graaff room, which is basically just like, a room with a bunch of Van de Graaff generators, which are kind of like the best way I can describe them is like a big metal ball that you might see a pair of with like electricity running between them. I don't know, like science shit, but that's what it looks like. And he gets him over there and takes like a couple hits so that Colonel Jupiter will end up in between two of these things. And he electrocutes Colonel Jupiter with 2 million volts of electricity, which is a lot to do based on a theory yep it's a lot it's a lot it's a i lot. mean spider-man is not says doesn't seem to be very like based on ep- episodes that we've seen he seems fine with a, just attempting to murder these people most yeah. of the time like oh yeah cover them with concrete cool drop them from like 200 stories cool like collapse a building on top of them <laughs> whatever whatever two million volts even though this guy is like good and i understand like he's just going through something terrible and it's not his fault that he's going through this hit him with two million volts that's the thing is he literally just recognized that it's the spores (sighs) he literally just identified that it's not actually john jameson who is evil it's it's freaky because since we have the heart monitor we see his heart stop 
like they focus in on that that his heart stops like he is dead for a moment <laughs> yeah like which is like I, when i remember first watching this and being like excuse me like is this happening did you just now? kill jonah's son which honestly i wouldn't have been that su- i mean i would have been surprised that the show would have done that but just from a storytelling standpoint i wouldn't have been surprised yeah i mean we're we're still in like a a, a similar place to as if that would have happened yeah. at the end of this episode though yeah i mean his he doesn't die his heart starts up again but, you know, being dead for a second and getting shocked a lot of electricity has him, like, sh- it, it does destroy the spores. And he, like, shrinks all the way back to his normal size. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Peter, bro, I thought we were done with this. <laughs> I, know, I know. I know. And for John Jameson, of all people, which is, like, literally the most, the most 100% sympathetic villain that we've gotten the entire, from the entire show Oh, so far. for sure. For sure. <laughs> like, like, not even a question. Oh, man. Oh, man. The next monologue we cut to is uh, oh it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a it's a funny one, at least, because it's from Flash. So and, <laughs> and we know that Flash's heart isn't in this. Yeah. So it's very bad. And he delivers it very badly. He delivers. I will be brief. Your noble son is mad. Mad, I call it for to define true madness. What's what is to be nothing else but mad? Um, he delivered it even worse than what I did. Um, and he even makes a comment like, is this supposed to be English? And there's a whole little bit where, like, he tries to move out of the spotlight because it's, like, in his face and the spotlight moves to him. Like, he's just not cut out for this shit. And it's just a, a whole no. hot mess. It's funnier, too, because this is a line from Hamlet. And this is a Polonius line. And it's actually – it is funny because Polonius's whole deal is that, like, he just talks way too much and everyone thinks he's fucking annoying. And so Amazing. it's actually, like – it's a comedy line that he starts off with, I will be brief. <laughs> and despite talking about like really important shit, like he's telling Gertrude and Claudius that Hamlet has gone crazy. So it's like important, but like it's still played for laughs, which like works in this in this moment because we had a really dark moment that is then a moment of like levity right after that from Flash doing this badly, which is just like how it was in Hamlet. And also Flash is also the type of character where it's just where you're just like he's annoying and talks too much and should shut up yep. similarly in a way. And also it's talking about how your son is mad, which yep, yep. <laughs> plays into the next scene. <laughs> Not subtle. <laughs> Basically, we cut to the next to the same facility where Max Dillon and Otto Octavius were kept by the terrible Dr. Kafka. <laughs> so so this is going to go great, obviously. Uh-huh. We see uh, Kurt Connors is explaining to Jonah that with the spores out of jo- John's system, like, all he'll need is time. He should be fine eventually keyword eventually like what? he will be able to resume living a normal life and we see uh, <laughs> i just read what she wrote here <laughs> <laughs> we see we see kafka and a very berry orderly now does <laughs> does squirrel girl's dad work at this facility <laughs> doesn't he kind of yep. have a similar vibe to him yeah, the same kind of like fun bearish vibe. Goatee, that he has, definitely. brown hair. Mm-hmm. I don't think this orderly is very baldy, but <laughs> same vibe. Earlier days, old old job that he had before he retired. Yeah, different timelines. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but anyway, that's that's a fun little little tangent to the really like terrible shit that's happening, which is that John is like in a straight jacket. He's clearly like in a very bad headspace and. It's does he? I mean, they they make sure that like he's drawn with stubble. He's literally drooling. It's like if you want to look just like at a caricature of like 
a, someone in an insane asylum. It's a little much. I think it's a little much too. I think so too. I think it's a little too over the top because he's like literally like the power. I need that's what I referenced at the beginning of the episode. Like I need the power. Give me the power. Which um that which, part would have been fine. Like if that was the focus of it, but it's it's the like the image that they're using, the way that they depict him. I know that it's Shakespeare, but like I feel like calling him Matt. Like it's I don't know. Like it's a little our, much. Our, 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 yeah. It's a little much. <laughs> it is. Well, that's the thing, is that also like, you know, our our sensitivity towards like any any kind of like mental illness is has shifted a lot in recent years for the better. Based on understanding, to clarify for anybody who thinks we're being sensitive for sensitivity's sake. Yeah, like yo, 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 you're right. I, I meant like kind of cultural sensitivity, yeah, yeah, yeah. but like yeah, like the but like yeah, the understanding of like that that this stuff is like hurtful <laughs> to be like, you're crazy, like oh you're mad. Well, you know, basically what they're doing here is such like a it's such like a caricature, you know, in a way that like d- doesn't it's not really a thing. It's a thing that like only it only exists in this form in movies when it's this over the top like this. Like he's literally in a straitjacket in a padded cell, drooling and like yelling like angrily. Like it's it's a it's a lot. And it's not a necessary portrayal. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 not the only way they could have gotten the point across. So it, yeah. it's just like a a bummer of a choice, but I'm glad yeah. we understand better a decade later, probably. <laughs> we'll see yeah. when we get there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then again, Kafka is a shitty doctor, so if anyone's going to like just be like, just put him in a straight jacket. That's like, fair. <laughs> that <would be> Very <laughs> fair. Yeah, yeah. I super, The other thing is like superhero properties are like obsessed with this imagery. So I don't know. Like maybe we haven't, maybe we haven't gotten far. I, I actually would be curious because it's it's such an easy straight hand to just be like, oh, it's a supervillain. Oh, he's a supervillain because he went crazy. Right. Like, right. <laughs> exactly. It's just such an easy thing to like, do. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. But um but I mean it's still I mean it's still really like there's a lot of impact here and the implications are are heavy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean it's it's it conceptually it's a it's a great choice because it's it's tragic in a very, you know, in a Shakespearean tragedy mm-hmm. kind of way. It's it's extremely tragic for a character that like it's unfair that all this happened to him. It's kind of Kafka-esque that it happened to him in the way that it did. And he honestly, it was kind of all out of his control in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, you know? Totally. Like, it sucks. And and then it's like, you know, knowing Jonah, like, there's that gut punch there. And there's the extra gut punch with, like, Dr. Connors was trying to help him. Oh, God. And then they twist the knife a bit because as they're leaving, you hear Electro screaming in his cell. And then Miles asks Kurt, like, is Electro another one of yours? And uh, Kurt just has to be sad about it. I know. Kurt's just like, yeah. <laughs> I am curious. I mean, I know that Electro is the only one that would make sense to be there just based on what we've seen in the universe so far and the stories we've mm-hmm. seen. But I do wonder if they'll do anything with the fact or if they had plans to do anything with the fact that John Jameson, former Colonel Jupiter, and Electro are in the same facility. I'm not sure what mm. they would do with it because Electro would be a cure for John, but those two characters are connected. So I just, mm-hmm. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. <laughs> yeah, the connections are all there. <laughs> yes, yes, everything is connected. 
So at Midtown, Mr. Devereaux posts the cast list for the school play, and Mary Jane shares with the group that Harry got a lead role as Puck, I believe, right? Yes, yes. I we can we can go down the the the, the cast list real quick if you want, because most of the names are not like real names. Mm-hmm. So it they are doing Midsummer Night's Dream. Um, Harry Osborne is Puck. Shashan is uh, uh Titania. Kenny is Oberon, which <laughs> I, you know, though, like his audition was really good in this episode. And I actually think it makes a lot of sense. I could sort of see Kenny being like the sort of like weird, like dummy who is like accidentally really good at acting because he's such like a, I feel like because he's kind of an empty shell and that like he doesn't really think very deeply about anything that like if you just give him a character to play, like he can almost wait like super easily embody that character without he trying to wouldn't be hard. in his head about it. Yeah, he wouldn't be in his head about it. He would just do it and he would just like embody it because he's not he doesn't really have much of like an interior thoughts anyway, you know. So I actually think because I feel like I met kids like that in high school and even college, too, where it's like, wait, you're auditioning. Oh, you're weirdly really good. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Oberon, I think, makes sense for him to play that character, too, just because I feel like their personalities sort of match a little bit in some ways, too. So it's a it's a clever choice. Glory Grant is Cobweb, which I think is just like one of the fairies. I don't really know that character very much. Mary Jane is one of the major roles. She's Hermia. And Liz is Helena. And I think everyone else, um, Hobie Brown is, I can't read the character's name. I don't know if it's an important character, but he is also in it. It's probably a non-speaking role. It pro- probably is a non-speaking role, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's one of just one of the side characters. There's a bunch of other names on there that are names. The only one that stood out to me was that Greg Weissman is Aegeus, who is I think one of one of the women's dads or something, I think, but I don't remember which one. So yeah, that's a fun little reference. But yeah, so there's your there's your cast. Beautiful. <laughs> I want to meet teenage Greg Weissman student at Midtown High. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, they, they get this news and Gwen starts to congratulate Harry, but Harry cuts her off. Like not even just like interrupts her, but like I think she reaches out to like put her hand on his shoulder and he like kind of incidentally bats it away as he like goes to make a phone call. Like it's bad. It's a bad look. <laughs> yeah, he's like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I gotta call my dad. <laughs> like Yeah, exactly. Yikes. Red flag, red flag, Gwen, red flag. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, bad, 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 bad. Not the last red flag in this single interaction, too. Nope. Because he calls <laughs> He calls Norman, and at first he's like, oh, my gosh, I made the play. Like, that's so cool. And then he also goes, and I got a girlfriend. (laughs) Red flag, red flag, red flag, red flag. Red flag, red flag. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, they – this is smart because what ends up happening then is you hear Harry go, did you just say you're proud of me? (sighs) And then, like, because Gwen is very empathic, is like, oh, that's that's nice. Like, that's good. I might have just gotten shit on, but Harry got told by his dad that his dad was proud of him. Yay. <sighs> and so you end up getting this like weird range of emotions all in a matter of seconds where like Gwen looks dejected and then happy, but then Harry puts his arm around her and like walks her down the hall. So then she just looks like uncomfortable and withdrawn. And it's like, oh, dear God, girl, get out. Like somebody get her out of there. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't. Mary really Jane, where like are that. you? <laughs> he doesn't care about you like that. No, stop. Uh. Oh, rough, rough, rough. Yep, bad news. Yep. Um. Yeah. Well, Peter. Peter is kind of seeing this down the hall, but like 
He's consumed about feelings of venom, right? Especially because Gwen passes by and he knows that Gwen was his big target last time. So she's still, you know, I think it's, I think it was an intentional kind of hearkening back to the first season and the beginning of this season where like Gwen is the first person that he thinks of to keep safe. It's like, oh, what? Am, Gwen's not safe. And, and everyone else isn't safe either. Like his current girlfriend isn't the first mm-hmm. person he thinks of, which is very yep. important, I think. And while he's thinking about that, Liz, like, sees him not paying attention to all of, you know, everybody who's looking at the cast list. So she, like, excitedly approaches him and tries to engage him. And she shares that she got into the play and she's so excited. And Peter's just like, oh, yeah, that's great. Like, you know. <laughs> cool. And Liz, Liz is, Good boyfriend. Liz, I know. It's so frustrating. It's just Be like, interested oh in the things she's interested in, Peter. Yeah. Ooh, where did I hear that before? Huh. Huh. <laughs> I wish I could remember these children and their bad decisions. Liz and Gwen (laughs) both don't deserve this. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Well, back of the cast list, uh, Shashan also learns that she made it. Flash congratulates her and he's all like, guess we'll be spending more time together. And she's fucking like, yeah, no, you didn't get it in. Anyway, bye. Your name's not on the list. Bye. (laughs) So matter of fact, it's great. She is the enigma to Flash. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> How can she not like me? How can I not get into a show? And then we get Sally, who also didn't get into the I show. I wonder this. why. And she's like, obviously the director is incapable of noticing our natural charisma. <laughs> the way she says charisma is so dramatic. Charisma. Charisma. Honestly, how did you not get into the show? Because holy shit, the drama. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. So our episode ends at the Daily Bugle, where Jonah is shoutily, which is not a word, uh, but (laughs) very loudly and angrily blaming Spider-Man for, as he says, destroying his son, which is really sad, like, Jonah. Like, I I get the pain you're in, but that's really sad, man. But he's hurting, so, you know. Yeah, I get it. He says something to the extent of, like, basically, like, bring me Spider-Man, right? And Venom... At that moment, Venom, right on time, crashes through the window right in front of Jameson, the whole staff, including Peter, and announces to Jameson that if you're looking for Spider-Man, I've got information for you, because guess what? Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Episode end. (laughs) Excuse me? (laughs) What? What a way to end this. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. I'm... I'm going to be honest. Yeah. I am not expecting this to go where I think they think we want it to go. Sure. I don't think Jameson's going to believe Venom. I don't think Jonah is 100% convinced they're two different people. And even if he is, I feel like there's a Superman situation going on where Jonah, I don't think, could ever believe that Peter would be Spider-Man in the first place. So I'm not really sure where this is going to go, but I don't think it's as going to be, I don't think it's going to be as straightforward as, look at Peter, get him! You know what I mean? Like, I think, like, I have to imagine Jonah's going to laugh in Venom's face. And I can't wait to find out if I'm right on that or not. I'm excited for you to find out. Yeah, I think I think like and I think the thing is what's smart about it is like no matter what, it's not even so much like what comes after because there's also sort of like, you know, that to an extent the show has to have some kind of status quo. Right. So right. like there's only so much they could they can up, up in Spider-Man's world. And I think they know that. But I think like the real genius is also sort of like any villain that's ever known his identity. It's sort of like, why didn't they all just do this? Like, this is the thing that you're just sort yeah. of like the logical thing to do is just like, oh, yeah. 
go to someone who hates Spider-Man and tell them that it's Peter Parker. Like, it's the obvious thing, and it's so cool that they just do that out of nowhere at the end of this episode. It's just like, hey, well, by I don't the way. Know if any, have we had any villains who are as obsessed with not just defeating Spider-Man, but destroying Spider-Man as Venom? No. I mean, definitely not in this show, and I don't know if we really have at this point in any of the other shows that we've watched to this extent either, at least, and definitely not ones that know his secret identity. Because, like, even Um, just last week when we were talking about Sandman, like, Sandman would have absolutely no incentive to reveal the identity of Spider-Man unless he believed that doing so would prevent him from being able to continue taking jobs. Yeah. So, like, for him, like, who cares unless it's going to take Spider-Man out of commission, and I don't think it technically, from his perspective, would. So. Right. I think it almost requires that like reputation shattering need that Venom currently has. Yeah, it's so cool. It's just such a it's such a great way to end an episode because it's just like okay, all well, right, this is where we're at now. We're putting that <laughs> on the table. <laughs> oh man! Yeah. And then like waiting a week to figure out what would happen. Mm-hmm. That'd be beautiful. What a beautiful moment they crafted. They really did. It's great. It's great. Real quick, I've got some final thoughts on this episode, but face of the episode real quick. This probably works better in, like, GIF form. I might make a GIF out of it because I don't think it does it justice to screen capping it. It's a good screen cap still, though. Like, it's good. Yeah, it's a good screen cap, but there's, like, the way that it's animated. So, like, Venom has, like, a face. It's right It's right after he's, like, beaten up Spider-Man, but right before Colonel Jupiter shows up in the middle of the fight. And he has, like, this weird, like, side smile thing that he does that's, like, the way that it's, like, heavily – the way that it's, like, drawn and, sh- and like, shadowed or shaded – it feels really, and I think it's also like kind of the lines that they draw over his eyes too for his like head. Sure. It's like a kind of extra detailed in a way that it doesn't normally. And also, I think maybe his head shape and the angle that it's at. Anyway, it all kind of like reminds me of like kind of like an anime kind of look that he does, like an anime like a, smirk almost, like that moment where it smirk. like pauses and they just like smirk. <laughs> yeah, because even the frame rate feel, felt like a little bit slower in that moment, just the way that it was done. So it's just really, it was kind of, it was like kind of out of place, but like in a good way. I liked it, mm-hmm. and it, and, the, and it creates like a good little screen grab out of it too. Yeah, it's good. I have a question for you before we do the total final thoughts but okay. that I'm curious. That's just, it's just for fun. So uh, the next episode is the final episode in this arc, and it does the same structural thing where it's going to have kind of like interstitials, like how they had the auditions and the video clips. Sure. You can in this and you can try to do an authentic guess, or you can just if you have no idea, then you can do a totally fake for fun, stupid guess. What do you think the interstitials are going to be like? What do you think the framing device that they're going to use is going to be? Hmm. So we've seen video recordings at a birthday party. We've seen mm-hmm. auditions on stage. I don't think we would get performances on stage because that seems too similar and would yeah. be limiting based on the content. So, huh. I mean, if I'm thinking, like, really out there, well, social media wouldn't have been, like, a. I don't think it would have been a big enough thing to be a part of the show, so they wouldn't do anything with that. Mm-hmm. Although, I mean, they could. There were shows spoofing social media. No, 2009. I, so that's one guess. I think the other guess could be, and this is a little similar to the birthday situation, but somebody making some sort of, like, school project documentary or something. Sure. Those would be sure, uh, something like that. I don't know. I'm not really sure. Cool. Well, we'll see. We'll find out if you're anywhere close next week. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be like cool. people painting pictures in art class and discussing their paintings. Those are going to be the interstitials. <laughs> I like that. Would be, be funny if that's actually what it was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. What are what are you what are your overall thoughts on this one? 
I like this one. I I mean, obviously it's my favorite because Colonel Jupiter and I just feel so <laughs> validated um, that obviously it's the best show I've ever seen this episode. Um, but no, I do like it. I like the idea of incorporating something as sort of like silly as Colonel Jupiter, especially because I'm not sure how quickly they'll revisit it, but they've put it there, you know? Yeah. And so I like that they've added a piece to the board that wasn't necessarily critical to the overarching story, I don't think, but played into the the story that's happening in the distance. I think this is what we talked about last. I think spectacular is when we talked about this last, this idea that things in front of you are happening faster and things far away from you are happening slower. Mm-hmm. Colonel Jupiter was like a good thing to be happening in front of us. That was low stakes. Doesn't feel like we're losing a whole huge thing if we never see him again, but it fit in with everything Venom was doing and has been brewing for Spider-Man moving forward. So I thought it was clever in, in the decisions they made plus the implications of everything that happens to John Jameson is good because the more you can fold Jonah back into some of this stuff, I think the better we haven't seen him in a while. And then any of the, the sort of like teen soap opera stuff I think is, is good. I'm very curious to see what happens with, with Harry and Gwen because I'm concerned. All right. (laughs) Um, I'm like legitimately worried. Like I, I haven't felt this concern since the Eddie and MJ date. Uh, so I don't, I don't, oh, it, it, none of that's been done poorly, but I'm just nervous about it. So it, this was good. I mean, I don't know if there's anything, I don't know if there's anything about it that sort of like stands above the average episode in any particular way outside of the unique structure sure. of having the auditions. Right. But everything is solid and good and building in a, in a direction that is visible. Like you can see where things are sort of going. Yeah. And I do sort of like wonder, I've been trying to think of like what the theme of this arc is based on these two episodes. And I do feel like it's not as clear as the first arc was, but I sort of feel like there's something to do with like, especially considering this is like the human development arc that is sort of something with do with like grappling with your identity and like reputation and who you are. Cause you have like Sandman kind of going through like kind of being a good guy by the end and like not wanting to be like super bad. And his, that his episode last week, and there's a lot with Flash going on. I was just going to say, I mean, start with Flash. Flash, I think, so far is the most obvious part of this theme. It's weird because it almost feels like the theme is about him, which can't be mm-hmm. the sole case. You know what I mean? But I think it's the most obvious one. Yeah. I think he's the one who's sort of like kind of meant to be like the signal light to it because there's still everything else sort of deals with it in minor ways. Because obviously Sandman and then John jameson of course like he's dealing with becoming a completely different person over the course of one episode and then this episode is also like threatening to unveil spider-man's I- peter's identity right sure which we'll see if how that's explored in the next one it's definitely like not as strong thematically as the first season but i feel like there's enough really good plot stuff in these two episodes that like it doesn't really matter as much because there's it's so heavy on plot and character that like the theme is kind of taking a bit of a backseat even though it's still there but if so much of it is just like exploring identity and growing into your identity, you can also add the background between Peter and Flash. You can add yeah. what what type of identity is developed or changed by Liz and Peter officially being a couple. True. You can you can sort of add I mean, this is a very, very minor thing, but I think the show 
when it can, will add these things if they fit the theme and and can reinforce the theme. This episode mm-hmm. also has the reaffirmation of Max Dillon rejecting his name. Oh yeah, like that happens again here. I I think I think you could probably find a lot of things. I just don't know if it's necessarily yet feeling as like tightly woven as some of the other ones have in the past. But we still have an episode that could bring things together. It's also, I mean, it's also like um, a looser theme, I think, than some of the other ones. It's like a pretty broad, broad theme if like discovering your identity is the theme. It's it's not as tightly woven thematically, but it is everything's been very tightly woven plot wise. So I think they're just sort of like switching gears a little bit to tell stories that are a lot more interlinked with the pieces that they have on the board. Which, I mean, they've always been really good at, but I feel like now that there are so many elements established and so many, like, complex things that, that are going through these characters' heads now with the history that we have with them, that there's a little more room to play. So you can sort of, like, not everything necessarily needs to fit as neatly and overtly into, like, an overarching theme, but it's all still there. Yeah. And, yeah, like you said, it's, it's all really broad, so, like, there's definitely – you can argue that everything fits into it, even if it's not, like, as – as overt and maybe as like strong overall in that sense, but it's still strong in being like good, well-written episodes right. in television. So. Right. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, you and I are also super strong, like very strong, <laughs> like the strongest maybe. Sure. And that relates nothing to the next thing I'm going to say, but you should check out our Patreon uh, over at patreon.com slash walloping where we put out very strong content. How'd you like that? Great, wonderful, good job. <laughs> you can also find both of us individually being super strong on the internet, doing all kinds of cool, strong things. Derek, where can people find you? God, you can find <laughs> me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale. <laughs> you can also find me on YouTube under my video essay series, Second Chance, which looks at bad or divisive media, but from a positive lens. One thing I will not be looking at is <laughs> Doug's the ending of this podcast. <laughs> Even though it's, it's bad and divisive, bad. not doing an episode on that one. Not divisive. <laughs> what about you, Doug? <laughs> you can find me actually being quite weak um, on my Twitter at IckyBooley, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y. If you're into Pokemon stuff, you should check out another podcast here on the 4-Eyed Radio Network called Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast, where my co-host Kyle and I talk about Pokemon just as we feel like it. And if you're into books and video games and dabble in other pop culture stuff, you should check out a podcast called Novel Gaming, where my friends Katie, Vicky, and I talk about everything we're reading, playing, watching, listening to, and just can't get out of our heads. You can find that wherever you find your podcasts. If you are interested in listening to more of me and Derek, but talking about a different thing, you should check out our new monthly podcast, Falling with Style, an ongoing Pixar movie marathon, where we watch every Pixar film chronologically, available wherever you get your podcasts. You can find that and everything we do over on our website at wallopingwebsnappers.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at wallopingwebpod. Or email us all of your Shakespeare thoughts at wallopingwebsnapperspodcast at gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you leave us a review, we will do our best Shakespearean impression. We'll video record it and post it on the internet for all to see and judge. And finally, next week, we conclude the human development arc as Peter deals with an identity crisis. See you then. Seems fitting. (laughs) Bye. See ya. (laughs) 
Was I losing it at the end? Maybe. Experimental. Uh.